Whatever comes out of these gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we work together. Do you understand? What is your suggestion, Master Jedi? These allegations are false.
So the three crossover events I'm looking at today are Magneto Dark Seduction by Fabian Nasisa. Uh, that was published as a four-issue limited series in the year 2000. Going to jump up to 2004 for Avengers Disassembled by Michael Bendis. That was published in Avengers Volume 1, number 500 through 503. And then close out with another Brian Michael Bendis limited event, House of M, which is an eight-issue limited series that came out in 2005. I, I don't intend to offer play-by-play -play summary of these comics. Uh, furthermore, there are plenty of other podcasts YouTube programs that have carefully drawn the comparisons between WandaVision and its loose printed equivalent House of M. I'm just here to go over a few of my favorite stories from the period in question that may or may not have influenced the MCU or I just find it cool. So this is going to obviously be spoiler heavy if you're thinking about the comics and there may be a bit of speculation while talking about the show. Uh, at the time of this recording, I've seen up through episode 5 of WandaVision. So maybe if you're listening to this later, some new stuff may have come out. The season may have finished, and uh, you realize that anything that hangs out in the role of speculation came out totally wrong. But, you know, hindsight is, is 2020. This is just me guessing. But I'm not a speculative show, necessary. We're going to focus mostly in the material in question. So Magneto Dark Seduction, the reason I wanted to talk about this particular comic is that out of all the crossover events that I'm discussing here today, this is the one where we see the most of the trio in question, that of uh, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and Polaris, and their relationship with their father, Magneto. So just to put a few things in perspective here, so at this point in the timeline, Polaris has lost the love of her life, Alex Summers, a.k.a. Havoc. That name may sound familiar to uh, some of y'all. Alex Summers uh, shares the surname with Scott Summers, who you know as Cyclops. And Alex actually shows up in the X-Men First Class movie and also X-Men Days of Future Past briefly. He has powers similar to his brother, but he actually absorbs energy and then shoots it out in various beams. So anyhow, Polaris and Alex were supposed to be together forever, but things didn't quite work out. And uh, long story short, so she decided to move in with her dear old dad, who, mind you, at this time she doesn't know is her dad, Magneto, who is running the nation of Genosha. Now the reason she moves in with Magneto is that he is a master of magnetism, and that's also her powers too, moving magnetic things and moving metal. And even though that as an X-Men, She's always been on the opposite of his uh, Brotherhood of uh, Mutants, or another group known as the Acolytes, that he is the only one who can teach her how to improve her powers. Now, of course, you know, in retrospects, this looks even more obvious when you figured out they're related. And for a long time in Polaris's history, there's this ongoing question that is she a blood relative of Magneto, given that they're both mutants and their powers are both so similar. So she goes to Magneto because he promised to enhance her magnetic powers to give her a taste of her full potential, while at the same time, she's kind of supporting him because at this particular moment, Magneto is not at his fullest strength. And so he's sort of at a point of needing support from other mutants. So one of them is Polaris, who's now been brought in, who can sort of project her magnetic powers onto him. I mean, he's the conduit of that and is able to do what he wants to do. Another is this... Uh, on-again, off-again, love-hate relationship with Magneto character named Fabian Cortez, who once was one of Magneto's acolytes, 
then tried capturing his granddaughter. And long story short, they end up close together, at least on paper. Keep your friends close, your enemies closer at this point in the in the comics. So what is this nation that Magneto's at? He's on Genosha. Not to be confused with Geonosis from Attack the Clones. You know, I always have to drop that. You know, given that I did start as a Star Wars podcast, there is always that similarity. And it is funny that uh, both Geonosis and Genosha were both big in their respective uh, media universes around the same time. But no, Genosha. Uh, this is a fictional country that once had a mutant slave class. So after many civil wars between the mutants that live there and the ruling class of humans, the United Nations basically gifted the country to Magneto. And they did that because they thought, A, well, he could possibly fix the crisis, and B, let's just get him out of our hair. Magneto is seen as a terrorist and as a threat, but one who we can't make a martyr out of, so let's just put him in Genosha. Maybe he'll fix this, maybe he won't. There's people who are aware of the fact his powers are severely reduced, so he can't cause much damage. So, you know, as it turns out, Magneto does a good job of getting the country uh, back in shape. That's largely because of, you know, in addition to just being a charismatic leader, he's got Fabian Cortez and Polaris enhancing his powers. So as far as the people of Genosha can tell, he, he's doing things uh, well and infrastructure is being restored. But there are a few holdouts. Of uh, Magneto's ruling cabinet, one of the members of that is his son, Pietro. Now, Pietro and Wanda have a bit of a comic book difference than in the movies for the kind of Fox-Disney legal reasons I mentioned earlier. But basically, Pietro has always had this back-and-forth awkward relationship with his dad. He didn't know Magneto was his dad until later on, but they worked together in the Brotherhood of Mutants before Pietro eventually became an Avenger, and now he's back at Genosha because he thinks he can be a good voice in his father's ear. He wants to make sure you don't see Magneto do something to the human population of Genosha that the human population did to the mutants. You know, Pietro is very much ascribing to the Charles Xavier line of thought, right? The idea that mutants and humans can get along, that you're not trying to put the mutant class up by pushing the human class down, but by bringing them together equally. So long story short, what you see happen in this storyline is that Magneto wants to access this super tech that can restore and enhance his power. So that way, he doesn't need to be cozied up to Fabian Cortez, who he doesn't fully trust, or uh, Polaris, who, you know, as a former X-Men and somebody who has a close relationship with Charles Xavier, is maybe not the best person to uh, team up with. So uh, Anyhow, this tech is, is in a city that's kind of the last holdout that has a rebellion against Magneto's will. And Magneto doesn't want to come in guns swinging on this because he wants to look like he is not an oppressor to the world. A series of events happen, and eventually the Avengers show up at Genosha to try to help this conflict. Because they're aware of the technology that's in this town. It's called Carrion Cove. And they realize what it can do. So they get called over and they're aware of it because there are some insiders in Magneto's cabinet who are trying to prevent Magneto from becoming all-powerful once again. Anyhow, that ends up backfiring as the Avengers showing up in Genosha gives Magneto the full authority to do what he wanted to do and just storm into the town because they are he's the defender instead of the aggressor in this situation. So Polaris shows up. Uh, with Magneto, and she's powering Magneto to help keep the Avengers 
at bay. But she's realizing she's doing the wrong thing. And at that point, though, it's perhaps too late. So she, Pietro, and Wanda, who's now here at Genosha, now she was brought on kind of as a third-party um, advisor, sort of someone to watch what was going on uh, in Genosha, that they knew this conflict was going, so said, let's bring Magneto's daughter to, you know, sort of be a neutral party. But she's now made it to this city, too, where there's this fighting and there's this conflict going on. So she teams up with her brother Pietro and her doesn't-know-sister-sister, uh, Polaris, to try to stop their father. And unfortunately, they and the Avengers end up failing. Magneto gets his hand on the technology and takes control of a bunch of nuclear missiles and holds the world hostage. And he says, if you don't leave now, I will annihilate the planet. And so because of that, the Avengers leave and um, the twins leave as well, bringing Polaris with them, who's realized the error of her ways. So that, that's sort of the general summary of that comic. I like it so much because there's some interesting themes weaved throughout that. And like I say, there's some wonderful action moments where you get to see Quicksilver using his speed powers very well and Polaris using her magnet powers, especially because they're expanded to a point you had never seen her reach before. And this whole you know, question like, oh, I am so hungry for power. I have been driven by grief or confusion. How can I fix that? What sort of personal morality am I willing to sacrifice to achieve what I want to? And so that's what Polaris, that's the quandary she was in. You know, during all the fight sequence there, the Avengers are all saying, now, wait a minute, Polaris is fighting with Magneto. I thought she was one of the good ones referencing the good mutants and already that goes to show that you know the people who aren't mutants aren't even really sure good good ones bad ones they've reduced the mutant population to still the other right not oh i thought she was a good guy i thought she was a good one that wording is very key and that's a lot of the you know bias and stereotyping that mutants have to experience in the marvel universe you know even the ones who do become x-men like quicksilver like Scarlet Witch, like Wolverine later on, have to deal with that hanging over them. So it's the whole idea, you know, what are you doing? What are you willing to give up to achieve the power that you think you need? And can the power go too far? So her coming to Earth is a real beautiful moment. Yeah, of the three kids, this is the one that's definitely more Polaris, Quicksilver-focused than Wanda, but she does play an interesting role through all this. And you see... You know, Wanda is a respected figure internationally. And this is not a version of the Scarlet Witch that we see fully in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? You know, she is seen as a terrorist and a threat even before WandaVision because of what happened in Lagos, because of what happened in Germany, because that she was a radical who got her powers teaming up with Hydra in the movies. You know, so that's all this big negative spiel feeling towards her. But in this particular comic event, she is actually coming in as the peacekeeper, you know, as the hero. But she fails. That's very key. She fails in doing that. Quicksilver fails in doing it. The Avengers fail in achieving that. This is not a, a happy comic. This is one that doesn't end on a high note. The heroes lose. And the bad guys win. But I think it's, you know, 
fun to look at because it hits that classic trope that you see in literature, in films, and in history, which is when the oppressed become the oppressors. You see that in post-colonial Africa. You see that with the rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. It's scattered throughout human history. So, of course, you would expect that is what would happen in the case of this whole mutant versus homo sapien mentality. And so the whole Genosha storyline, basically everything that is Magneto's belief, anytime you see a Magneto story, is the whole idea of how do the oppressed fit in a society where they are allowed to participate do they become the rulers or do they try to become equivalent with others? And what's the way to go around that? And this comic drives into it very well. While um, talking about the Genosians, uh, it's fun. This crossover event is advertised as an X-Men event. But there's not that many X-Men in it in terms of the real big ones. You know, you don't see Beast, Hank McCoy. You don't see Wolverine. You don't see Storm. You don't see Cyclops. You know, all the big ones who you get to know. It's funny because when you're reading these comics in their original 2000 print, all throughout them are pages of advertisement for the new X-Men movie that came out that year. You can see all the action figures for all the X-Men, none of whom are actually in this comic line. So I think that's kind of funny. But it gives you the opportunity to look at another great cast of mutants. And these are the mutants who are either... Ones who have worked with Magneto in the past as part of his acolytes. Or others who are mutants living on Genosians. So they are the ones who are the former slaves elevated up. There are also humans in this event who used to live on Genosha. Or I mean, like they still do live in Genosha, but they lived in the old Genosha and they're struggling. You know, do you want to make amends for how humanity treated mutants and even things out? Or do you want to be one of the few humans on the winning side and team up with Magneto's atrocities and heinous crimes? So we see Fabian Cortez, who I mentioned earlier, his power is to enhance others. And he continues to be a, an interesting character throughout the X-Men storyline um, well beyond this event. Dr. Ada Huxley, she's a Genosian human who sides with Magneto. She references a lot about the winning side. Uh, Scanner is a Genosian unit, mutant who's on the uh, the cabinet. Amelia Vo, uh, she turns into mists, so that's kind of a cool power. And she's someone who's a member of the cabinet, Magneto's cabinet, but she ends up siding with Pietro against his dad as she learns more about what's going on. She learns more about this technology. Uh, Philip Moreau, he's the son, a human son of the doctor who had enslaved the mutants on Genosha originally. So he goes through a lot of growth. Him and Huxley are kind of opposites of the same coin, you know, and they're the ones struggling that debate, where does humanity fit when we're no longer in the ruling class? And that question comes out later when we talk about another event in this group of comics I have here. And, and then lastly, there's Joanna Cargill, known as Frenzy. She's a Magneto loyalist, long history in the comic. She sort of leads the attack against uh, Corian Cove and uh, takes on the X-Men, a powerful black woman character, which is encouraging to see, especially in the year 2000. You know, a big complaint against the whole Genosian story arc is that it's an island off the coast of Africa, 
and its inhabitants seem to largely be white people. And so that's kind of icky, but there's like colonial history there. So anyhow, it's, it's encouraging to see her. And uh, yeah, she is steel hard, skin resistant to injury and temperature extremes. That makes her a good commander in the field. And she remains loyal to Magneto to the entirety of that comic. I, I just want to point out, this is also a real interesting group of Avengers that shows up. So naturally, you get Iron Man, who you would expect at this particular moment. You know, when you think Avengers, you think Iron Man. That's what the popular media has told us about. You get Wasp. Uh, Janet Van Dyne's Wasp, not the uh, Hope Wasp we see in the uh, the movies. Janet being Michelle Pfeiffer's character. We see Goliath, uh, who's Hank Pym at this point. Hank Pym changes his name a lot. He isn't always Ant-Man because a bunch of other Ant-Men show up, such as Scott Lang. So at this point, he's focused on being the big guy, going by the name Goliath. We see Warbird. Uh, popular people, media people, will know her better as Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers. She's another one who uh, changes her name frequently as she struggles with her own identity. At this point, she's wearing her outfit that's uh, her Miss Marvel outfit, which is what she was known as largely before assuming the Captain Marvel mantle. You have She-Hulk. Uh, that's kind of fun to see She-Hulk in comics, especially knowing that we're going to get some She-Hulk Disney Plus material, getting to watch her. That's Jessica Walters. And then this next one, <laughs> this next one's kind of funny. You don't see him that often. His name's Triathlon. So, otherwise known as 3D Man, he's the second person to have that, or one of two people to have that name on them. Uh, and the play on Triathlon 3D is he has three times the physical features of a normal man. So, be it speed, strength, endurance, vulnerability, etc. His story is kind of funny because he's a former Olympic hopeful who got kicked out for doing steroids. And so, now I actually got to have the powers, so that's Triathlon there. Not Maybe not the best messaging from zoomed out but it's funny to see him included in this group where you're not really seeing a lot of the classic avengers you'd expect and then naturally you know scarlet witch and quicksilver are uh, there as well but they don't show up with the avenger contingent they just fight alongside them against magneto so that's my take on dark seduction i highly recommend it it's really hard to get a copy of um or not really hard but harder than i thought because it was never published as a collection. So you have to buy all four issues independently. You can also find them online, naturally, as you can with most comics, but I like the hard thing. So I got all four copies, or all four issues, on eBay for $12.50. That's a, a pretty good steal, actually. So if you do want to read this, I highly recommend, you know, look on eBay or other resale sites, perhaps, or check, call your local comic store because try to support businesses along those lines. So anyhow, you know, I jump up to 2004, going to the Avengers Disassembled. But that's obviously a large time gap, so let me just fill you in with what's happening in there as far as the characters in question are concerned. So um, the whole Genosha experiment fails, and the country is more or less left devastated. And Magneto is kind of a defeated man because of that. At one point, Polaris went back where she uh, found out that Magneto was her father by doing various genetic tests. And she was heralded as a princess. And so 
that was around uh, Uncanny X-Men number 431, I think, maybe number 430, if you want to read about that, when she finds out that, you know, Magneto basically got someone pregnant, abandoned them, her two, two people she believed were her parents, but actually weren't, died in a plane crash, so it worked perfectly to fit that in. So she has to struggle and wrestle with that truth. Meanwhile, Wanda has her first instance of trying to make a family. So her husband is the Vision, who we all know is a synthesized robot, so he can't get her pregnant. So he starts to play, pardon me, she starts to play with reality a bit, and she gives herself two fake kids who are twins, just like her and her brother, and that is Tommy and Billy, the names that we do see in the uh, the WandaVision television show. But that is calmed down, and she is made to forget that that event ever happened, that she had these two kids. So that is our transition into the Avengers disassembled. This is... A great storyline. I think this is a fantastic crossover event. And it's one that I believe is a better representation of what is happening in WandaVision than House of M. Whether or not that's intentional, you know, I don't know. But when I have, I've reread all this, of course, for the show. I reread The Avengers Disassembled. I reread House of M. The former fits Wanda's power sets better and what's happening better. And there's a lot that happens in this comic that lines up really well with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So what we see, long story short, is Wanda is creating false realities with real-life consequences that are all just within the realm of believability. It starts with her manufacturing what is realized to be the event, what, what is deemed the Avengers' worst day. So a former Avenger by the name Jack of Hearts uh, shows up. He is a half-alien who was deemed dead. But all of a sudden, he shows up at the grounds of the Avengers' mansion. Uh, Ant-Man, who at, at this point, this is Scott Lang's Ant-Man, shows up to greet him, and it turns out Jack of Hearts explodes, killing Ant-Man and blowing up half the mansion. Shortly after that, Vision... Wanda's own husband, is used as a bomb to blow up Avengers mansion, mansion, claiming to have been hacked by Ultron. And She-Hulk is so enraged by the situation, she starts going ballistic and rips Vision in half. Then, all of a sudden, a Kree warship shows up that simply manifested out of nowhere. And so Clint Barton's Hawkeye believes he's sacrificing himself to blow up the Kree warship. So all in a single day... You see the death of Ant-Man, Vision, and Hawkeye. And I want to highlight, this is, again, Scott Lang's Ant-Man. This is the Ant-Man who we know from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, on top of it all, Tony uh, Tony Stark, that is, is re-experiencing his symptoms of, of alcohol intoxication and embarrasses himself in front of the United Nations. And basically shoots the entire PR department or the public perception of the Avengers publicly. At this point, he's the Secretary of Defense and people are clamoring for his resignation. So there's a series of battles and 
no one knows what's causing it. I know I spoiled it by saying Wanda created these realities, but nobody knows within the comics what's causing all this until Doctor Strange shows up and reveals what's happening. He reveals that all of these horrible events are the product of Wanda's unintentional magical machinations, and he's the one who has to calm her down. He says phrases like, reality controls her. How she played mommy to make herself feel like someone thinks she is normal. And that's exactly what we're seeing in the WandaVision show. Wanda is trying to make herself normal. She's literally playing house on TV. And, you know, what I want to point about Avengers Disassembled versus House of M, which I'll get to in a second, is that Avengers Disassembled is very localized. Not everybody is fully brought into this reality. Just like in WandaVision, it's just Westview, New Jersey that's sucked into it, right? That's sucked into Wanda's fake TV show. In House of M, Wanda completely rewrites the entirety of reality. She makes an alternate universe for everyone. Whereas this, it's localized. And so that's where I see some similarities there. Um, it ends up happening where Doctor Strange, or I should say the Avengers with the help of Doctor Strange, managed to calm Wanda down. And she's taken away by her father, Magneto. He doesn't say where he's taking her, but people familiar with Magneto can probably guess that he's going to take her to Genosha. Quicksilver shows up at the end to defend his sister to the Avengers when they're trying to consider what happened and what to do. And Quicksilver said she wasn't herself. She would never want to hurt any of you. Like, why would she want to kill her own husband, Vision? Or her close friend, Clint Barton? It's funny because the Avengers thought that he was at the battle, but it turns out he was simply a manifestation of Wanda's magic as well, that Wanda can bring Pietro out of nothing. So that sounds familiar. Here's a big WandaVision spoiler alert if you haven't seen episode five. Lo and behold, Pietro shows up in WandaVision. We get to see her twin. Now, granted, it's funny because this the version that we see is the one from the X-Men movies, not the... MCU uh, with Aaron Taylor Johnson, but we'll get to that towards the end of the program. But I'm just showing here that Wanda bringing her brother out of nothing. Now, he wasn't dead at this point. He just wasn't present. And he's seen running around. So she is able to manifest her brother. And through all of this, she also manifests her little family living in a house. There are some uh, cool themes throughout this one as well. Um, alcoholism and the exploitation of weakness. Like I was saying with Tony Stark, it turns out Tony was not drunk, but rather Wanda was making him feel as if he was. She was tricking his mind and body to act like an intoxicated man, even though he hadn't touched a drink as a recovering alcoholic. Uh, we see that there are alien threats, uh, as seen with the arrival of the Kree, who turned out to be a Wanda manifestation, and their uh, deceased teammate, Jack of Hearts. And robotic threats. So, Ultron, uh, by way of vision. And so, alien threats and robotic threats, that's very MCU-heavy in terms of, you know, what is the other that we're trying to stop? I mean, we see that when Tony Stark makes the Ultron program in the movie Age of Ultron, it's to stop extraterrestrial grandiose threats. Of course, he ends up making one in his own, 
but that this is, you know, what they hear, the Avengers are fighting big, grand enemies. You know, nothing earthly. And so she doesn't play with earthly threats in this. It's either something that's a thematic threat in a personal struggle, such as alcoholism, or something that is an external grand one, evil robots and aliens. And of course, family plays a role in this too, as Wanda is once again building up the whole maternal reality for herself, that she is the mother of two twins. It's, it's funny, because before this all happened, Wanda had forgotten that she had made this false reality where she was a mom. But she was reminded because a few of her co-Avengers happened to mention it. And she was wondering, why is everyone telling me that I was a parent? I have no memory of this. And as she starts to explore all that, that's when she loses her grasp on things. And that's when she has this outburst that leads to the death of three Avengers. So there are a ton of other MCU tie-ins and references in this comic outside of what we're seeing in WandaVision, largely in the movie Age of Ultron. So in Age of Ultron, Ultron tries to tear apart, to disassemble, so to say, the Avengers uh, by way of Wanda. So she tries to trick Hulk, Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, and Natasha by putting images in their head, by messing with their perception of reality. So that's exactly what we see in the comics, right? Now, of course, in that movie, Wanda ends up becoming a... She has full control. She's aware of what she's doing. Uh, but she ends up becoming a good guy in that movie. But here, you know, you sort of see the reverse, where she starts out as a good guy and becomes the inadvertent villain by messing with people's heads. Also, in Age of Ultron, we see that that's when Wanda you know, and Vision are both created in the birth of, of their relationship. But she also becomes super friendly with Hawkeye, who becomes a father figure to her in a way, to her and her brother, especially after she loses her brother in that movie. And so if you're someone who was watching Age of Ultron when that movie came out, and you're aware of the comics, you start to get nervous because you feel like, oh my gosh, we have Vision. We have Clint Barton's Hawkeye who has a close relation with Wanda. And what comes out next year? Holy crap, it's Ant-Man with Scott Lang. Those are the three Avengers who she inadvertently kills. And so, like, before I knew where the MCU was headed, I was sure. I was absolutely certain that Wanda was going to kill Vision, Hawkeye, and Scott Lang. Turns out that hasn't happened, uh, you know, I'm going to put an asterisk, yet, hasn't happened yet, it could, but probably not, uh, but still, that was kind of a scary moment for some of our comic readers, you know, feeling like that could be coming, because they're really playing that up, that, oh, did they intentionally pick Scott Lang instead of Hank Pym to play into this particular event there? Um, it's also funny that in Avengers Disassembled, Wanda sets She-Hulk off on a rampage. Now, it's not as intense as her cousin's rampage, the Hulk, in the movie Age of Ultron. Uh, nonetheless, there is the similarity that, you know, Wanda can tap into the Hulk source, so to say, and make members of the Hulk family bigger and angrier or just enraged and irrational. She-Hulk's a far more irrational, uh, pardon me, a far more rational 
character than than the Hulk. It's kind of like what we see with Professor Hulk in the movies, but She-Hulk is always that, to put it very simply. So it's just neat to see that similarity there. Um, sticking with, or I should say jumping forward to the WandaVision comparisons, there's a moment where Wanda literally pushes Captain America through a, a brick wall. Uh, this is the moment when you know, the Avengers realize oh, Wanda's responsible for all of this. So Cap tries to have a moment of reasoning with her, and he's pushed backwards. And the shot in the comic looks really similar to the shot we see in the show of Monica Rambeau being pushed through the brick wall and out of Wanda's reality in WandaVision. So I think that's just visually very similar. Uh, lastly, Doctor Strange shows up and Avengers disassembled to calm things down and explain magical happenings. And it's rumored slash all but confirmed that in WandaVision, Doctor Strange is going to show up. Whether he's going to be the one to calm Wanda down or it'll be a cameo that we will see, Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange in WandaVision and that he will be the calming present versus Charles Xavier in some other media. So that's just kind of similar. Oh, one other thing I meant to mention is that in Avengers Disassembled, there is this witch by the name of Agatha Harkness. So Agatha is a witch who first helped Wanda forget she had, I'm using air quotes, had children. So uh, when Wanda is starting to realize, wait, I had kids that I forgot about, she drags Agatha into this and ends up killing her, draining the life force from her, etc., whatever you want to call it. And there are theories out there that Catherine Hahn's character in WandaVision, Agnes, is the WandaVision version of Agatha. And Catherine Hahn has been pressed, pressed on this, and she's danced around the subject. So maybe it'll be the case. Maybe she's being coy, or maybe she actually knows something. So there we go. That's the MCU Disney Plus tie-ins with Avengers Disassembled. Just some other factoids. I love the Avengers cast in this comic. The main Avengers are Iron Man, Captain America, She-Hulk, the Wasp, Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch. Uh, we have Hank Pym now as Yellow Jacket. Like I said, he's always changing names. Uh, we have Scott Lang's Ant-Man. And this one's just kind of fun. I feel like all of these have like a, a random weird Avenger. Uh, this one has Captain Britain, but this is Kelsey Lee's Captain Britain. So in Magneto Dark Seduction, we had Triathlon. This one we have Kelsey Lee as Captain Britain. Her story is really interesting, and I feel like has never been fully explored the way I would hope, and it would be great to see her inclusion in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, I think we need to see even more uh, female superheroes in the MCU, and if we want to introduce Captain Britain, here is a lady one right here. Long story short, Kelsey Lee was a single mother who, who died but was resurrected on the condition that she could never see her children. So that's something she struggles with a lot, and she plays an interesting role in this, this comic line here. So it's always fun to see the Avengers have the non-standard inclusion, and whether that's just the writer who wants to have them included or a conversation between the writer and the, the person who's doing the main comic book artistry saying, oh, I really want to draw... Captain Britain or Triathlon here in this line, can you fit them in or if it fits the overarching narrative? So it's just fun to see that included 
you you don't really see that as much in the MCU, but in the X-Men movies, you could see a bit of that where just kind of random X-Men were sometimes included, you know, in one but not the others, either before or afterwards. So if you have a big cast, I say have fun with it, and that's what these lines do with the Avengers. So with that being said, I'm finally going to move to the big one, the granddaddy of them all, House of M by Brian Michael Bendis. Now, I said when I started this podcast, I was going to talk primarily about the trio, about Pietro, Polaris, and Wanda. Those three are not all that heavily featured in House of M. They're present, and Wanda especially, Wanda and Pietro especially have a role in creating House of M, but they're not the main characters by any stretch. So what happens is after Avengers disassembled, the new Avengers, some former Avengers, and the X-Men get together and decide they have to get rid of Wanda for what she did. Meanwhile, uh, Pietro is back with his father, Magneto, on Genosha, who is also there with Wanda. And Pietro says, Magneto, you can save her. Isn't there anything you can do? And Magneto is feeling, well, maybe we have to go forward with what the Avengers suggest. So Pietro runs off with Wanda and convinces her to to change the reality of the whole world. And so we see the entire world change. Now, everyone, when they talk about Wanda and reality-changing powers, this is it. House of M is the most massive example of Wanda's powers in this regard. I just want to again highlight that, you know, what we're seeing in WandaVision is her changing one town, not the entire world. And in WandaVision, she is not changing any superheroes in their stories. In House of M, she's changing all the superheroes in all of their stories and all of their placements in society. This is a massive, massive event. You have a cool alternate reality where mutants rule the planet. They're ruled by the aristocratic House of Magnus. Now, like I said very early in the show, Magneto has gone by many names. Magnus was the one that he chose after going in hiding after World War II. This is when he met the Maximoff's mother. Unfortunately, his first kid with Mrs. Maximoff died, so he left her in shame, not knowing that she was pregnant with the twins. Like I said, the story has been retconned a bit, but that's what we're assuming at the time of reading. But anyhow, you have the royal house of M. Magneto is the head. With his three royal children, Polaris, Pietro Quicksilver, and Wanda Scarlet Witch. But hold on, hold on. She's not the Scarlet Witch here. She's just Wanda. She is powerless. She's pretending to be the normal one in the family. When really, she's the powerful one who created this whole thing in the first place. Uh, Polaris still has control of metals, and Quicksilver still has speedy abilities. But Wanda pretends not to. And she has her two kids with her once again. Now for the third time, she's there with Billy and Tommy. Anyhow, that's what's happening, the overarching. But in the story, you mainly follow Wolverine as because of his rapid healing ability, he's the only one who remembers the old world. Him and a, a, new, a new mutant, a new girl by the name of Layla Miller. And the two of them work together to wake people up and realize the world they live in is uh, not the one they came from. It turns out to be unsettling for a lot of people because they were living happier lives. You know, in this instance, Carol Danvers is the world's most popular superhero, and the original Kree, Captain Marvel, isn't dead. 
and she feels better about her place in all of things, something that takes a whole lot longer to reach in her actual comic line. Uh, Peter Parker is with Gwen Stacy, who, as we know from the Amazing Spider-Man movies, or if you've read the comics slash follow the comics, she should have a broken neck. And Uncle Ben is still alive. Yes, Uncle Ben, the guy who always is dead. It's like him and Bruce Wayne's parents. You see die so many gosh damn times, you have to keep hearing about it. But he's alive and well. And Mary Jane is not with Peter, but she is the famous actress she always wanted to be. Captain America in this is old and never put on the ice. He got to live his life and age up. Uh, when all the heroes are waking up, they decide not to wake up uh, Captain uh, America because I realized, let Steve Rogers have this. There's nothing they can do for him. You know, if he finds out there was a reality where he was on ice and everyone he loved had died, and now he's all of a sudden an old man, that could danger him mentally. So they decide to leave him be. So Captain America is not really involved in this comic. So those are just a few examples. Read the comic if you want to see where everybody is. But everyone's living really interesting and happy lives. Um... If you want to know where some of the other various Avengers are, one interesting group is what's known as the Human Resistance. So obviously the humans are looked at as second class. Uh, this crowd is very similar to what you may know as the Defenders in the comics, uh, also in the Netflix series. So you have Danny Rand, the Iron Fist. You have Luke Cage. Uh, you have Tyrone Johnson, the Cloak, Mark Spector, Moon Knight. And everyone looks a little bit differently. You know, some of these folks don't have their full costumes and their full abilities. Like, for instance, Mark Spector is just kind of a guy running around with guns instead of his white cloak. But still fun. You know, still kind of a, a hoot. Uh, you see a couple smaller ones, like Angela Del Toro's White Tiger, uh, Misty Knight, and uh, a character who I love, who I really hope the MCU brings in, uh, Felicia Hardy as Black Cat. Fun fact, uh, Black Cat was originally supposed to be played by Felicity Jones, in the amazing Spider-Man movies, but that never came to fruition. I'd still love to see that happen. Black Cat is great. Kind of a uh, on-again, off-again romantic tease with Spider-Man. Comparable to Catwoman, but less of a cat burglar and more of a hero, but she does kind of, you know, walk the line between, you know, popular hero, anti-hero, villainous in a way. But she's, she's a cool character. Uh, and then you see at Stark Industries, Tony Stark, who is... You know, not openly Iron Man. Uh, Dr. Hank Pym, who's accused of doing pro-human research. Uh, Dr. Hank McCoy is the chief scientist at Stark Industries. Uh, but he's not blue. He's just human self because if you remember... Uh, I'm going to go to the movies here. If you remember from the X-Men movies, he turns himself blue inadvertently uh, while using you know, some experimentations to fix himself. Uh, which is not exactly what happened in the comics, but similar enough as far as we could tell, you know. When you see him as a young guy where the Beast was originally introduced in the comics, he had human skin. So that's the case here. Uh, he looks all human-y, not blue-y. And it's just interesting to see how humans and mutants fit within this reality. There's a long, epic battle between the newly reawakened Avengers and X-Men taking on the House of M at which everyone thinks Magneto is behind this, but then they wake up Magneto and realize it was all Pietro's fault all along. He's the one who convinced his sister to do this. So, in the apex of this fantastical battle, as Doctor Strange is once again trying to talk to Wanda, she declares, 
No more mutants. And everything is reset. Except for one thing. The vast majority of mutants are poof. No longer mutants. They're depowered. Very importantly, of the mutants depowered, the entirety of the House of M is. Polaris can no longer control magnetism. Magneto can no longer control magnetism. Pietro can no longer run super fast. And Wanda has gone off in hiding, pretending to be a little Eastern European villager. Her power and ability is TBD. Interestingly enough, a lot of the characters I mentioned earlier from the uh, Magneto Dark Seduction, they've also lost their powers. So you see the X-Men contingent shrunk down significantly. So what does that necessarily mean for us, tying it all back into what inspired this conversation, WandaVision? There are theories out there that WandaVision will be the launching point that rather than says no more mutants, something along the lines of bring me mutants. Now, obviously, it won't be that too on the nose. Wanda's not going to say a simple sentence that uses the M word like that, that brings mutants back, because she wouldn't know what that is. However, it is safe to speculate that she will somehow be the reason the X-Men show up. And she does have the ability to manifest stuff out of nothing. Especially when you consider that in this most recent episode of WandaVision, we see Evan Peters' Pietro show up. Evan Peters' is Quicksilver, the one who we've got to know from the past three new X-Men movies. I'm talking about Dark Phoenix, Apocalypse, and Days of Future Past. So... Is this just meant to be a tease for us, for the fans? Is he supposed to be another town member who, oh, let's just make him look like Wanda's Pietro just to pull our strings? Or is he the link of bringing mutants into the MCU? That remains to be seen. But I think it'd be kind of cool. I, I hope that's the case. And whether or not they stick with it, we'll, we'll have to see, you know. I really admire how bold that show is just like i all of these comics i've talked about today i think they're very bold comics i think they talk about very important and in cases heavy themes and the show is doing just that in a very comical well-executed way so i look forward to seeing what's coming down the pike down the pike down the pipe i hope that if you listen to this program today you feel you know a little bit more about the comics that are actively inspiring. Wanda's story in the MCU, like I said, it's not just WandaVision, but Age of Ultron as well. And and hopefully this is something that helped kicks you off into wanting to read them more. I did offer a lot of spoilers about these comics. However, you know, it's about the journey, not the destination. So really, really, I, I insist you read House of M. There's so much more happening, and like I said, I didn't offer a full play-by-play -play because everybody's doing that right now because of WandaVision, and there's some people doing it very well and very executed. And then read Avengers Disassembled. I'm really curious. You know, are you like me and you feel like Avengers Disassembled does a better job of showing Wanda, uh, WandaVision's Wanda, or is it House of M? You know, or should I say, is WandaVision a better adaptation of Avengers Disassembled or of House of M? The two play off each other very well. As you've probably noticed, they're written by the same guy. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis wrote both events. So, you know, you can disagree with me. And maybe the show 
will continue to advance that it becomes super House of M-esque. But like I said, I still think it's more of this localized event like we see in the Avengers Disassembled. Anyhow, I, I really do appreciate uh, those of you who have chosen to stick with the Babble Bubble as we enter this new phase, this new stage. I'm very excited about the expansion that the show is taking. I want to take a moment to promote the artist for this week. This is a, a good friend of mine who I have known for 13 years practically now, Spencer Davis, uh, otherwise known as his artist name Spiral Shark. You can um, see him on the social medias at Spiral Shark or at Spencer Davis Art. He has a website where you can see all his other awesome stuff. He does a lot in the superhero community, which is why I thought he would be perfect uh, for this episode here, for the premiere episode of the Babble Bubble. So you just go to SpencerDavisArt.com. He also recently released a new comic, Source Jammer Tezka. You can find that on Webtoons. You can just look that up. That's Tezka, T-E-Z-C-A. You can commission arts to him by just reaching out, DM. I think he's got an email address on his website. It's some cool stuff. And if you want to see the piece that was made for this week for the Babble Bubble, you can just go to the social media pages that the show has. So that is on Instagram, the Babble Bubble, or you can look up on Twitter at Y2KBabble. So, Spencer, once again, thank you very much for your contributions uh, and for your wonderful art. I, I'm a big fan of this piece he did here where he drew out the trio in cool colors, and it's it's a wonderful way to promote the show. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to other stuff that we have coming, uh, other artists who will be on display. You will likely see Spencer again. I may have a bit of a rotation going up. So... Thank you. And on all those social media profiles that I named, please, please, please feel free to follow them. And you can subscribe to the Babble Bubble wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be it Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Hell, if there's even something that's strangely Russian, maybe they've translated it for me. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> but if you're a Russian listener who's taking the time to listen to English, well, I applaud you. Hopefully I've helped you improve your language skills not that i've said any russian on the show so uh keep grooving and even though the show is different i will end with my usual sign off i will catch you all around the